I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very lucky to welcome to the show Peter Weimershausen, who's the co-founder and CEO of Shapeways. Peter, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. Happy All right, Shapeways has got a great a very a very nice domain and easy to to spell and and understand. So shapeways, just the word shape and the word ways put together.com. Peter, give us the elevator pitch for Shapeways. Well, Shapeways is a platform that is home to a vibrant community that enables them to make amazing products using 3D printing. So if you have a great idea and you want it to turn into something physical in a in a, in a real product, you can go to Shapeways, upload your designs, and we make it for you. Or if you're just looking for a vast catalog of amazing products, you can come to our site and you can find uh, a very big variety of products ranging from toys and gadgets to jewelry, home decor, puzzles, and many, many more things. Okay, In essence, well, what we're doing, yeah? yeah, go ahead. In essence, what we're doing is we're giving people access to world-class manufacturing capabilities and um, giving them total freedom to make whatever they want. All right. Well, I suspect half or, or more of our listeners know what 3D printing is, but let's just be sure. So give us a very quick explanation for how 3D printing works, the basic idea. Well, 3D printers are amazing machines. And what they can do is actually take a digital description of something that you have in your mind, say an iPhone case or a ring or a coffee cup, and if you have a digital description of that product, you can use that file, send it to the machine called the 3D printer, and then using the technology that those 3D printers have, there are different types of 3D printers, they can turn that digital description into a physical product. Okay, so I, I'm i actually a customer. So I'm a product designer, and I've used Shapeways um, uh, on and off over the years, remarkable awesome. service. So I, I, I would recommend any of you who are who who have a little bit of an inclination to be a maker, to to design and and build something in three dimensions. I highly recommend you you check out Shapeways uh, for for that purpose. Um, but I, I want Peter, I want you to walk us through a little bit your typical customer. And I noticed on the website. As recently, I hadn't been there in a while, but when I looked today, there appeared to be some communities that were really developing with a lot of vibrancy. Maybe you could describe one of those communities and the kinds of objects they're making and what kinds of objects you could find on the Shapeway site. Sure. So depending on how you want to engage, whether you are a 3D designer or whether you're looking for amazing stuff, uh, we have a wide variety of products. But what we recently have discovered is that certain categories are more active than others, and we actually start to focus uh, in on those subcategories to give them really what they want, and it seems to be working well. So in one of those categories that we call hobby and tech, we see people making scale trains and, uh, and, and scale cars, so model train model cars, and yeah. also um, war games and tabletop game characters and, um, and remote control car parts. Um, what they do is basically using the plastic 3D printers that we have, using materials like nylon and an acrylate to make very high detailed parts or final um, train carts, for instance, 
uh, in software and then have them uh, sent to us. They select the material they want. They see the price. You get actually feedback on whether your design is printable, is makeable. Mm -hmm. And if it is, you can order. And then in a couple of days, you have the product in your hand. What people in these categories typically do is they actually then paint the parts to their exact liking and then use them. Yeah, so it's it's fascinating to me. And so some of the other categories, just as I was looking, are quite curious. So so jewelry, you would probably expect, uh, I would have expected perhaps to see that community. So jewelry makers are, are definitely on site, but there, there are paintball enthusiasts that are a community. There's, as you say, the tabletop gaming, the RC car and model train communities. What is it about those communities that seems to provide this resonance with the Shapeway service? Well, I think it's a few things. Let's take model trains. Um, I think that there is a higher than average amount of people in those hobbies that have a technical background. And as a result of that, it's a little bit easier for them to understand the process, maybe even learn how to use 3D software, and then to start uh, using Shapeways to create those things that they really are passionate about that they can't get anywhere else. Uh, that's one part of it. Also, the size of the objects and the requirements from a quality perspective resonate quite well, uh, match quite well with the quality that the 3D printers can deliver today. Mm -hmm. And then from a price point perspective, these items are typically in a price range that they're actually expecting and willing to pay. Um, this is about the, you know, the skill trains, perhaps. Then jewelry also. Um, same thing, the quality in precious metals and semi-precious metals we can deliver, like we do silver, gold, platinum, the quality is actually matching what you would expect from fine jewelry that you can buy in any store. But now you have the freedom to create any type of jewelry. And I think what these products have in common is that they are products that people care deeply about. They care so much about it that they actually have in their minds what the exact perfect product looked like. And if you can't find it anywhere else, then why not make it? What I haven't spoken about yet, what I, I think is very important to add, is that for Shapeways, you don't only um, can use Shapeways to upload your own files that you have to create in 3D software, which is you know, a bit of work and uh, not always that easy to use, but we're also a marketplace. And this is where you can leverage the skill of the few for the benefit of the many. Let's take, for instance, model trains again. Only a few people in a model train community need to be able to, to model you know, exceptionally beautiful trains for others to actually then purchase them. Because through the marketplace, if you like a product you see, you can buy it. And then you can paint it yourself if you want to uh, or use it as is. And in that way, the few people in a community that can use 3D software can enable a larger group. Um, they can also work together. You know, you see something you like, but you want to have it slightly different can reach out to that designer and say, hey, I like what you did, but could you make it slightly different for me? They can, and then, you know, the transaction happens. We take care of the printing, of the make, making sure that the quality is right, ship it to the end user, and the designer can make money off of that. You can actually build your business on it. And then the end user, of course, hopefully is very happy with the final product that he or she receives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think something, a common misconception out there is that it's straightforward to create the 3D model. I, I routinely have students come in my office to say, hey, I've got this great idea for product. I know exactly what it needs to do. 
I just need someone to create a model for me so I can 3D print it. And what they don't realize is that that step of modeling is actually an extremely skilled, requires quite a bit of skill and facility with tools. And so I think people underestimate just how hard that modeling uh, piece is. Uh, Were you... Uh, actually, let me just first ask: in terms of in terms of your business, has the purchasing piece become much more significant than the de- than the design piece, or uh, or or is it still that the uh, the bulk of the revenue is is effectively providing a service to designers, creating objects for designers? The I can't make complete statements about revenue, but I can give sure. you an indication yeah. only about the products that we we make. Yeah. And yes, it is still true that the majority of products that we make on an average month uh, is for people who have designed them themselves or at least have uploaded the file themselves. I can't yeah. see whether, of course, they designed it themselves. Yeah. Um, however, this changes during the holiday season where we see already a tilt towards uh, people purchasing other people's products mm-hmm. uh, more predominantly. And over the years that Shapeways has existed we've seen a actually rapid growth in people making their own products and they continue to grow, which actually has surprised me to some degree. And then uh, a even faster growth of the purchasing on the marketplace. Uh, yeah. Now leading to the fact that in the holiday season, it's actually bigger uh, than the make your own products. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I, I just, as a, as a point of fact, I want to just calibrate our listeners. The, the prices are, are quite reasonable. So, for instance, if if I, I design the, the the product I had Shapeways make was make was a prototype for an ice cream scoop, you know, fairly decent sized objects. I needed it quickly. I only had them make one, and I think it was around one hundred and fifty dollars uh, to make that. But an object that is bought out of the catalog, say a smaller object for a train or something like that, some of them are are twenty dollars, thirty dollars, relatively affordable given that you're getting an object that's made specifically for you. So I just wanted to calibrate the listeners on on, on price points. Um, uh, Peter, a, qu- a question I have, it seems like you have sort of a, a Goldilocks problem here in the sense that if you're making just a few units, it makes sense uh, to make it on Shapeways. If you're making a few shared in among a community, it might make sense to use the marketplace. But as soon as you cross over to making a thousand or or ten thousand of something, almost certainly you would want to consider an alternative production process. So first of all, are you seeing that migration pathway? Do some of the the parts become so popular that the makers take them to some other production process, or or does that rarely happen? And if that does happen, do you also need to start to provide higher volume solutions for those products? Well, that's a very interesting question, and there are a few dimensions to to, to answer it. The first step is that um, we don't see that many products in those high volumes, and I think it's because people like to customize even within their own creativity. Mm-hmm. Like what we see is a lot of jewelry that is personalized by putting names or initials on it. Um, so that actually makes them all one of a kind again and uh, removes the possibility to, um, to, to off-ramp to, to mass production. Um, second, uh, people target very specific tastes. So what we see actually on average is that we print a product less than two times. 
Oh, wow. Um, next to that, 3D printing, digital manufacturing, enables you to create geometries, to create shapes that are not possible to be made with traditional manufacturing methods. And actually, it's much more forgiving. Uh, injection molding, for instance, has all kinds of requirements on how the products look like. Like, for instance, if you even want to make something as simple as a box uh, for maybe a piece of electronics, you need to know that the angle between the walls and the top or bottom need to be a little bit more than 90 degrees. Otherwise, you can't remove the die cast. And if you don't know this and you make it exactly 90 degrees, it won't work. And all this knowledge uh, is available for professionals, but if you're not into that uh, type of field, it's not there. So you need to be skilled in going from 3D printing to something else because, again, 3D printing is more forgiving. And let alone the geometries you can never make. Uh, you know, you can make geometries within geometries, like a ball within a ball, and those kind of things are simply only possible using 3D printing. So, yes, we've seen it a few times with a few uh, runaway successes where people have at least tried to go to mass production. I think one or two have actually succeeded. And I would say, hey, that's great for you guys. Those are great success stories that hopefully inspire many others mm -hmm. to come up and launch their great product ideas, market them successfully on, on the Shapeways platform. And, hey, uh, if they get very successful, I'm just rooting for them. If we see this happening more and more and more, which until now we haven't, yeah, we might include indeed uh, at least connections with or maybe even services to going in that direction. But to be honest, I'm not a big believer in mass manufacturing anymore. I think it has quite a few downsides, uh, which we're solving with 3D printing, that um, I actually would like to focus on making the unit economics of 3D printing such that a number of a thousand were still more uh, affordable and a number of 10,000 were still more affordable. And actually that is happening as the technology is getting better and better. Peter, let me follow up on that comment. I am here in, in, in California am aware of a variety of startups and established companies who have entered 3D printing. So I'm thinking in the startup space, a company like Carbon 3D that promises to be able to use the additive manufacturing in production at production scale, and then the entrant of a major of a of a of a Fortune 500 company, Hewlett Packard, into the 3D printing space. Um, give us a little bit of a sense of where you think the industry is headed. Well, that's a good question. I think we are in a very exciting time for 3D printing. You know, we went through the completely unknown, and then the super hype, and then after the hype, typically comes uh, a little bit of a uh, time, time where people go like, really, was this real? And we're now starting to see real value creation. And what I'm really excited about is that both indeed big companies like HP are spending an enormous budgets on research and development, building new 3D printers, and also investors uh, giving money to startups to create new technology. I think that typically happens when real value creation starts is when lots of money goes into research and development initially, and that translates into much better technology for the end users to use. We like that a lot because whilst we've been using 3D printers for over eight years now to make amazing products for our users, the machines are, you know, basic at best. The technology is in its infancy. And, uh, for instance, what Carmen is doing, but especially also what HP is doing, is so exciting. They're making the next generation of machines, and that will make the quality much better. It will add more features. 
it will reduce the cost, it will reduce the, the lead time of products, and that will make um, making and using 3D printing to make your own products much more relevant for a much wider audience. And I'm really excited about that. It is exciting. I want to calibrate our listeners a little bit on the timescales here. So, so I remember seeing my recollection, the first 3D printer I saw was in the early 1980s, was uh, stereolithography. So that was, that was 30 years ago. And we're still seeing, I think today there are more than 300 manufacturers of competing technologies in 3D printing. So we're in many ways still trying to figure it out. What is the future? Uh, but I, I totally agree with you. These are very exciting times for the technology. Um, Peter, let me, let's, t I want to go back to the beginning. So you alluded a little bit to the time scale here for Shapeways. You've been around a long time. Where did the idea came from? And tell us the origin story. So what happened was, um, I was uh, getting a little bit bored when my last startup was uh, merged into a bigger company. When a friend called and he asked me straight up, what do you know about rapid manufacturing? Which was one of the words that were used for 3D printing back in those days. And my background is in software, technology, um, I did internet over satellite and those kind of things. And I went like, why do you call me about manufacturing? <laughs> and he insisted to, to come by his house. He said, I have to show you something. So I went by his house and he showed me these plastic items. And I said, what is this? And he said, well, these are made by a machine entirely on a digital file. And my jaw dropped. I went like, what? When was this invented? And he goes like, oh, maybe even 20 years ago. I went like, how can I not know? You know, I think that I'm pretty aware of technologies. I was one of the early people using the Internet and built my own computers since uh, 1990. So I thought, like, I know about these things, but I never heard about it. It was one of the best kept secrets in the world. And immediately a light bulb went off in my head because the first startup I was a part of was a company that published a free 3D software package called Blender. And I saw the passion that the users of Blender had for the things they were creating in their computer besides looking at it on their computer screen or printing it out on paper, they couldn't do much with those designs. And I had a hunch that maybe uh, I could help. So I asked some of my friends in the Blender community, give me one of the designs you're most passionate about. I had a few of those things printed, went to see them for a cup of coffee, and I just put the items on the table, and their jaws were on the floor. How did you wow. do this? And I said, what if there was a website where you can upload all your designs? What if... That website gave you feedback on whether it could be made. You could select from several materials, from plastics and metals and even ceramic, etc. And then based on the material you select, the price appears, you pay by credit card, and a couple of weeks later, you have those designs in your hands. Would you like that? And I said, where's that site? I said, well, hang on. I said, how much money would you spend? And they said, like, as much money as I have. I went like, wow, what a passion. So I started to do some figuring. I knew that the Blender community at the time was few hundred thousand people. I figured just by finger in the air that maybe a million people in the world were using 3D software for a hobby. And I went like, if every one of those would spend a hundred bucks, that's called a hundred million dollars. Right. That's a big business. And with that, I went back to my friend who smiled at my story. And he said, yeah, um, I actually just joined, he said, the lifestyle incubator of Philips. We're looking for people with crazy ideas. And you know, this sounds like one, why don't you come pitch? So I went in, I had four PowerPoint slides with exactly this story. I told them this in 15 minutes, and they asked me, how much money would you need to get started? I told them, and they said, done. When can you start? 
and I went like, whoa, what just happened? And this was the beginning of Shapeways. Interesting. So it was actually Phillips who provided the original seed capital. Yep. And coaching and the environment for us to get going. Yep. They were wow. great at that. And was it in the, were you in the Netherlands at the time? Yes. Uh, I was living in Eindhoven, the Netherlands, where uh, Philips has a, a large presence. So, so uh, you're now in New York, isn't that right? Correct. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the journey. I know it's been 10 years, but tell us a little bit about the journey. Yep. So after, you know, getting the initial seed money from Philips, um, first my friends were on the floor laughing that I was joining a corporate to start my own business, which sounds completely wrong, but actually it worked. And then after nine months or so, we had the first prototype of the service up and running. This was only the upload your file and print it for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, we started testing it. And in July 2008, we went live, um, which was covered by TechCrunch, Associated Press, and we started to get orders. Pretty soon after, our community, which was always a part of the Shapeways platform, started to tell me, hey, we're printing our own products, but people want to buy them off of us. And we're doing that. And then we have to reorder our own products. Wouldn't it be great if we could straight sell from the site? So we added the marketplace, kept growing. And then early 2009, I had a discussion with Philips and they asked me, so what are you going to build? What is this going to go to? And I said like, well, what I'm seeing is that manufacturing is actually going from an analog to a digital technology. And as a result of that, the rules of the games completely change. And in this new world, I want to build a platform that enables people to build amazing products. And I said, wow, that's big. Um, and it's not completely aligned with our strategy. So they told me I had to find external funding from venture capitalists to continue to build the business. So I went out first in Europe, later also talking to American VCs until I ran into Union Square Ventures, who uh, actually offered to uh, lead our Series A round. And, wow. Um, yeah. So just uh, as a shout out, uh, Union Square was founded by my MIT classmate, Fred Wilson, who is a terrific guy. And so mm -hmm. I just a shout out to Union Square. Glad to hear they were the backers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They showed a lot of vision together with Index that that early, because we're talking, you know, 2009 when we started talking, um, that they actually saw the potential of what we were doing. So, um, yeah, we spun out of Philips, became a small independent company, and at the same time decided to move our main office to New York City, which we did. Mm -hmm. So um, early January 2011, uh, we arrived here in New York and continued to build the business here whilst also keeping a team in the Netherlands. So uh, I, I just looked up on Crunchbase a little bit about your funding, and, and I, you know, I never know exactly how accurate, but it's roughly speaking, it, it says you've raised $76 million over five rounds. Has it been sort of just a steady pathway, steady growth, and uh, success building on success over, over eight years? Or have there been some clear epics that would describe different phases of the business? Um. Well, I think we've been growing steadily over all those years. Um, we, in the beginning, were focusing mainly on making sure that we could actually print the products people were giving us. So the initial phase of Shapeways was really focused on making sure that we could actually make these things and actually make them without losing money. To give you some context, when we started, if you would have a iPhone case printed in plastic, your average price would be $250. Now, that isn't the price point at which most people would think, hey, let's buy a few iPhone cases, right? Right. So what we did actually 
we sold them on Shapeways for around 50, 60 bucks, mm. losing a lot of money with the vision that as volume comes, we can get the cost down and as a result, start making money. Now, that seemed easier said than done, and actually it was. It actually required us to start printing for ourselves to really understand the process and then figuring out how to actually do this so efficiently that today we can actually profitably sell iPhone cases for $20. Wow. So the cost has come down by over a factor of 10. And that is actually without the technology improving that much. Wow. That's mostly realized by using lean methodologies, lean manufacturing methodologies, and applying them to 3D printing. That has been our breakthrough insight, which led to me saying to the board like two years ago, I don't think we are no, uh, we are no longer back-end constraints. We're no longer operations constraints. We're now profitably printing products for our community. We should focus on the front end of the business. Hmm. Now we should get as many people as possible excited about the potential to make your own products because we make money when, when they do. Yeah, so it's a really interesting question. We just have about a minute left, but I wonder if you could speak about the decision to backward integrate or to fully integrate the production because I suppose you must have debated the question of whether you should oversee a federation of third parties or whether you should do it yourself. How did you think about that decision? Well, we initially outsourced everything. Mm -hmm. But what we found quite quickly, and which is still the case today to a certain degree, is that most companies that own 3D printers and offered a service to use them that would be willing to print for us were companies that I would like to describe as technology-dominated. Yeah. And this is like the early internet service providers. They love the technology, but they don't really understand what operations means. And then what we have actually done is actually operationalized it using lean manufacturing. You've seen that with ISPs where I think at the later part of the 1990s and early 2000s, you saw a huge consolidation happening in ISP land where it went down to three or four. And those companies weren't technology focused. They were purely operations focused. Mm -hmm. Not saying that you have to combine some of the bad with operations focused, but it does mean that you start to think like, how can I maximize throughput? How can I minimize uh, quality problems? How can I get things in one time right to the customer? And if you start thinking like that, it's amazing how much more efficient, meaning how much less money you spend per product. And that's where we got most of our gains. And of course, we did get some of our gains also through the fact that we are now consuming way larger quantities of raw material. We are purchasing more machines. And of course, you get better prices if you get bigger. And there's some of that. But the large majority of our efficiency gains came through lean manufacturing. And that was a massive shift in insight that we went through. And um, when we started doing it, you know, our, our, our vendors uh, started to doubt whether we could do what we were saying we're doing, actually we invite them over and say, look, this is how we're doing it. And they went like, wow, it's amazing how effective and efficient you are at this. Um, which is actually an invite I would always say, it's like, if you want to learn from us, I'm happy to share, because I think the more people are very good at 3D printing, the more likely the success is that we all will build this amazing new platform for enabling people to make their own products. Going from actually, and this is, I think, a key insight, you know, what is happening is that products used to be push marketing. You know, people came up with product ideas and then marketers would convince you you needed them. And with 3D printing or digital manufacturing, we go to pool. You have an idea, you want it, and now you can get it. And it will be made on demand for you. And that uh, solves a lot of problems. Uh, we have no more inventory. 
Uh, it's only made for you when you want it. There's a higher emotional attachment, so less waste. Uh, we can actually make it closer to the end user, which reduces the carbon footprint. So there are many, many advantages of doing it this way. And that's why I'm so passionate still after 10 years about uh, continuing to build Shapeways. All right. Well, Peter, it's an inspiring story, and I love that you've been at it for 10 years. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining me today. My pleasure. It was great talking to you. All right. For more information about Shapeways, you can just go to www.shapeways.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.